0: World Lutheran News Digest is a production of KFUO Radio. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere, since 1924. Text the letters KFUO to 41444 to join the legacy with your tax-deductible gift. This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. What has happened to morality in today's society? Just think about some recent news headlines... Some of our leaders and opinion makers have been exposed as sexual predators and even worse. How could these people imagine that they're not doing wrong? Do we even need to spell out what's proper behavior anymore? Well, apparently so, but you know, it's already been explained to us in scripture. But misbehavior of this sort is not just a spiritual question, but a legal one as well. As Lutherans, we recognize that we live in the left-hand kingdom. We have a duty to temporal authority. The LCMS is not just a spiritual organization, but a legal corporation as well. As such, we're bound by human law as well as by gospel law. The LCMS recently updated its policy regarding misconduct of its employees and members. My guest today is Deaconess Kim Shave, LCMS Director of Project and Policy Administration, who is part of the team that established these policies. And now, today's Fast Track. Pentagon officials have confirmed the Defense Department plans to allow transgender people to enlist in the military starting January the 1st. This after a federal court ordered the military to do so, despite opposition from President Trump. The President announced a ban on transgender service members during the summer, but the directive has since been challenged in the courts. And a federal judge last month said the U.S. military must accept them starting January the 1st. The new policy reflects growing legal pressure on the issue, and the difficult hurdles the federal government would have to cross to enforce the President's demand. Potential transgender recruits will still have to overcome a lengthy and strict set of physical, medical, and mental conditions that make it possible, though difficult, for them to join the armed services. However, the Department of Justice filed an appeal in a D.C. federal appeals court after the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia said that the military must begin accepting the transgender recruits on January the 1st. This despite the opposition from the President and the Pentagon. The Justice Department is currently reviewing legal options to ensure that the President's directive can be implemented. The Pentagon, under the direction of former President Obama, had originally set the January 1 deadline before President Trump declared the ban on all transgender military personnel earlier this year. U.S. District Court Judge Amy Berman Jackson, who was appointed by President Barack Obama, issued an opinion permitting the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority to ban an advertisement by the Catholic Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., while allowing one by the Salvation Army, which, like the Archdiocese, is also a Christian organization.
1: This is Notícias Lutheranas Pelo Mundo. This is Royal Lutheran News Digest.
0: I'm Kip Allen, Roll Lutheran News Digest host. My guest today is Deaconess Kim Shave, who is also the Director of Projects and Policy Administration here at the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. A lot has been in the news lately about everything from child abuse to sexual misconduct to really bad behavior on the part of people who should know better. Well, the LCMS does know better. And not only are we a religious organization, we're also a corporation in a, in, a, in a legal sense. Kim has been with part of a committee that has recently drawn up in our employees' manual, in our official positions, on how we stand and how we respond to these issues. Now, a lot of it is legal, but a lot of it is that we, well, we have our commandment from a higher source than the law. Kim, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Well, Kim, let's talk about what is the legal definition of of uh, harassment as far as we are concerned.
1: Right. Really, when we're dealing with some of the issues that we've been seeing so prevalent in the news, you're looking at a broad category of sexual misconduct, and then beneath that, even is sexual harassment. And it's somewhat difficult to define, but for the purposes of the LCMS, not only in our employee handbook, for those of us who work at headquarters here in the International Center, but also the uh, church administration resource that's available widely to congregations and schools, of the Employment Resource Manual. It's defined as, and again, it's noted that it's difficult to define, But according to our definition, it includes unwelcome sexual advances, requests for sexual favors, and other verbal, visual, or physical conduct of a sexual nature. And typically, that behavior relates to three categories as it affects employment. If you use that type of behavior um, as a term or condition of an individual's employment, in other words, a threatening sort of behavior that you'll lose your job if you don't comply, that is certainly under the category of harassment. Um, if submission or rejection of that particular proposal um, is a part of the um, employment decision to either be hired or perhaps to have receive a promotion, then that would fall under the category of sexual harassment and would have been um, a violation of our policy. And then thirdly, if it interferes with an employee's work performance or if in some way it creates an intimidating, hostile, or offensive work environment, then that would be in violation of policy and certainly be a problem.
0: Well, we at the LCMS have one benefit I think that other corporations do not, in that we are allowed to give preference in hiring to people of our own faith. So we're a little bit more in tune in terms of the rank and file as to what's expected of us. We have the same moral code, at least theoretically. Uh, So hopefully this situation doesn't arise. However, old Adam, we're all sinful.
1: Right. SIN definitely enters in, and this happens at a rate that will probably surprise your average uh, member of the LCMS, especially as it relates to minors as well, and as we're mm. learning. And, and the importance of putting the information out there in such a an interview like this and, and letting the resources be widely available to other congregations and schools is of the vital, um,
0: just utmost importance and there are, are a lot of things that are involved in this and that just i never even thought about it. for example background checks right that you that you run that there are all sorts of tax issues that we don't really think about uh, and as you pointed out you know this this filters down to individual congregations schools the concordia university system uh, our church charities Good heavens. I mean, right. this <laughs> people don't realize that that we are truly an international organization and right. we do all sorts of things out there.
1: Absolutely. We've created a section on the LCMS website um if you do a search for legal resources and there are some really helpful resources out there. Again, Synod is advisory in in what we offer to congregations, to our schools, to RSOs, but we have assembled some information on this topic and many others, too, if you want to avail yourself of that on the website. And the Employment Resource Manual is also available on lcms.org under Church Administration Resources. So all of those items are out there as a tool, as a way to help congregations and organizations that are related to the LCMS protect themselves, be more proactive versus reactive. It's much easier to have policies in place in advance of some sort of sexual misconduct or poor behavior on the part of a church worker than it is to be reactive and try to, to create consequences after the fact. When you have them outlined up front and they're published and publicly available, the organization and those individuals within that organization are more protected.
0: Well, we like to say that times change, and what was acceptable 10, 20, 30 years ago is not necessarily acceptable today. Uh, Then, of course, we're up against the fact that we don't believe that biblical standards change. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I can see where this can lead to a lot of confusion, um, especially regarding sex roles, Uh, not just Necessarily sexual harassment, but just in terms of the roles that men and women have. Now, you are a deacon over and above being an administrator. So, you, as a woman, have a very specific role to fill within the LCMS. Mm-hmm. How does this? How does this work? If If you were to explain to an outsider. Uh, How would you explain that this is not necessarily uh, sexual harassment or sexual discrimination, that you are a deaconess but can't be a pastor?
1: Oh, absolutely. So as a deaconess, I recognize that my role in the congregation or with another entity within the LCMS is really auxiliary to the Office of Public Ministry. I'm there to support and assist A pastor, um, we in the LCMS believe that an ordained individual must be male. There's biblical, scriptural support for that. Uh, Many resources have been put out on that subject. I've uh, outlined my own. Um, beliefs in that through a book called Women Pastors that's available through CPH. And really, we just lay out scripturally where women are very vital. They have been historically and biblically to the church um, in Christ's own ministry, how women were supportive of him. But we play a very different role, and especially when it comes to issues of um, child abuse or any type of sexual misconduct, having women in positions in the congregation that are more visible, that are sort of a conduit. Uh, Women are much more comfortable talking to other women about such intimate. Decisions or situations, especially when there was a violation of of intimacy or privacy that they didn't have control over. So I'd see the deaconess and other female members of the con- or um, leaders of the congregation being able to support and assist a pastor in that role. Point them to the pastor if confession or absolution is needed. As you said, sin is as old as Adam and it's been in the church from the beginning, and we continue to see the result of that today. And as a deaconess, as a woman, where sexual sins especially are brought to our attention as when and we we can support going to the pastor for the spiritual needs.
0: I think it's important to stress to the audience, especially to the non-Lutheran listeners here, that the Lutheran Church does not preach supremacy of one gender or over another. What we do believe is that the genders are co-equal but have different roles, equally important roles to fill. Now, I will also say, now you're a woman, but you're a deacon. I'm a man, but I'm just a layman. So I will concede that you are superior to me in terms of (laughs) theological knowledge.
1: Well, okay, you can say that if you'd like. I definitely have (laughs) theological training, a master's degree at a seminary. Um, Certainly what Lutheranism um, really places a strong emphasis on the value and the input that our laity provide as well. But yes, being a theologically trained woman does put me in a position where um, I have a better understanding of sin. And again, the role of the pastor and what he can provide spiritually to someone who is confronted or um, with their sin and also struggling with the, the result of their sin, that being confession and absolution and spiritual
0: consolation. Well, I, w- I would certainly acknowledge you more than me as a leader in, in these areas. Again, as I said, I have no training outside of, you know, I, I went to confirmation class in Sunday school. I was in the Walther League it was my social life, but uh, I'm dating myself <laughs> there. But uh, I think that we recognize these different roles and they are vitally important roles. And not one is not necessarily more important than the
1: other. Absolutely not. And it, you just open the Bible and look at Jesus's ministry, um, how he, he welcomed women into his inner circle, which was so rare for his time. The Samaritan woman at the well that he was even seen talking to her was so taboo at the time. And so it's very clear, God created women to be a helpmate. That doesn't mean that we're any less um, important in God's economy than what a man is. It just means our role is a little bit different, especially as it relates to the church and the offices that we are given to hold and the work that we're given to do. Um, the office of the public ministry is just not one that was given to women. Uh, by my research and my understanding, that's about the only role I can find other than the office of deacon. Um, a deaconess has a very different role than deacon, obviously. But um, So of all the vital, vital things that a woman could contribute to the ministry, that's one role. Um, and being a pastor's wife, I'm not sure that's one I would want to really necessarily <laughs> fill anyway, seeing what my husband has experienced in the ministry. It takes a special sort of courage and strength to do that.
0: It certainly does. Yes. Now, you also pointed out, I think very validly, the uh, the role that you would have, for example, a woman who is uh, suffering uh, abuse at, at home. I think would be much more likely to reveal this to another woman than to a man. Uh, I spoke, uh, I think it was last year, with Grace Rao, who's the head of our uh, deaconess program. And she had mentioned a uh, case where, I think it was in Ethiopia, where there's a Christian community, but they're still very patriarchal. And the women there were not allowed under their culture to actually be alone with another man, even if a even pastor But they could to a deaconess and that the deaconesses were providing really vitally important service in in those communities.
1: Right. Um, historically, a deaconess um, in in the early church, her role baptisms were done completely in the nude. So a woman, for matter of discretion, was there to help the woman disrobe, be prepared for an immersion baptism, assisting the pastor for that. So it's always been about boundaries. Those professional boundaries. We call them that today. Certainly, that that probably wasn't a term that was coined back in in the early church days. But those boundaries are important. And when you're dealing with sexual sins or domestic violence or Um, perhaps even an unwanted pregnancy that may have been terminated through abortion. There's such shame and guilt involved in those decisions. And for some women to go to a man, um, the pastor, especially standing in Christ's stead, we know that he's representing Christ in his role. There's so much shame and guilt that they may just feel unworthy to approach the pastor. um, And they typically are more comfortable opening up to a woman who, we tend to have a little bit more nurturing qualities. I don't think there's any surprise in that. Um, in that, And again, to, to sort of go to the deaconess first or another female leader in the church to talk about these things. Um, and, and it's really so vital for a woman in that position who's been honored with that privilege of having that information shared to be able to help this woman gain the courage to talk to the pastor for spiritual consolation.
0: Well, I suspect that this would also be especially true when dealing with children.
1: Absolutely.
0: And now we have the the issue of child abuse and, uh, you know, how do you define what is child abuse? I mean, I I know, uh, obviously, if you starve a child or you beat the child or something like that, that is abuse. Or if you ignore them as a parent, that's abuse. But spanking, normal discipline, where is that line drawn? Because I know a lot of people uh, will say, oh, well, you can't spank a child, that's abuse.
1: Well, it really does depend on the, the. I would say the region, the state that you're in and how And laws are certainly evolving where it used to be appropriate. Even back in my day, I'm dating myself here. Our principals in our high schools and elementary schools still had the big wooden paddle and you knew not to to mess. Um, Corporal punishment was a big deal. Um, So, you know, it's really evolving. I think we're seeing more emphasis on the protection of children. The more we've understood child maltreatment is really the overarching term that's used. There can be neglect. There can be emotional abuse. There can be physical Abuse and certainly, as it relates to some of the sexual misconduct we're seeing in certain um, um, certain areas um, here publicly, then the um, violation of a child sexually, which is completely, completely, in total violation of anything that God ever would have put in place for the care and protection of children.
0: Yeah, I cannot, I cannot conceive of of a, uh, a rational individual condoning sexual relations with a, with a child. I think perhaps there's an issue of, when does a boy become a man or, or a girl become a woman, uh, both legally and, uh, and morally? And I think this is an issue we may may be addressing right now. Uh, I'm not sure how we define that. Uh, Do we have any guidelines from the Bible or from the LCMS on that?
1: Well, you can start with Scripture. I'm just looking at Matthew 18. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. I think Scripture is very clear. When we harm or do spiritual injury to a child, which let's face it, any type of abuse, physical especially, is going to be in, um, cause injury to a child and their spiritual understanding, especially if it's coming from a parent, and to try to help that child understanding, understand that he, this parent was serving in God's place, was um, commanded by God to rear this child in love and affection and nurture them. And when that bond or that that responsibility is broken and and not fulfilled, then a child has a, a long road to recovery as they move into adulthood and try to understand why that abuse happened and then overcome it. So the church certainly has a place up front to prevent it as much as possible absolutely possible. um, But there are ways that the church can do that. And we have resources out on the LCMS website to help churches and schools with that. But then on the back end of that, for a child who is suffering from the effects of having been abused or violated as a child, then the church has to be there to provide that spiritual consolation and support to help them understand that this was never God's will. This is not what God ever wanted for this child's life. But unfortunately, because of the nature of sin, um, they, the, it was impacting
0: them. And the child, I, I should imagine, I, I was fortunate in having a wonderful parents, so this is not something I've ever experienced firsthand, but I should imagine the child might go through a thing where, gee, you know, my mommy and my daddy, these are the most important people. If they're mistreating me, it must be because I've done something wrong. There has to be tremendous guilt involved in the child, a horrible, horrible mental anguish that they would undergo that absolutely has nothing to do with their own fault.
1: And the dynamics of abuse, whether you're talking about spousal abuse or child abuse, the abuser very much is putting the blame on the victim. Most often they're narcissists. They're great manipulators. They are not able to see in their own frame of reference what they're doing and, and that their expectations are entirely unreasonable and so typically yes a child is blamed for not getting good enough grades not cleaning their room um, being in the wrong place at the wrong time saying something looking at a parent on um, the wrong way so it, it's it's an issue that is it's played out on behalf of the child the child is injured for it, but it really is through the fault and the the unclear illogical thinking of the abuser if that's a parent especially it's it's very damaging I would imagine
0: that one of the the strongest bulwarks against child abuse is the nuclear family, you know, that the child being raised in a in a two parent home, you know, loving mother and loving father, you know, I can see a situation. I know that the Lutheran Church does not like divorce, but understands that at sometimes it might be best. And I, I because of that, I'm I'm I was tempted to say that I could almost see where a single parent. Home with with raising children could be construed as child abuse, but I'm not sure that's correct.
1: Um, I wouldn't go that far. Um, others may. I, I wouldn't dream of it. There are unfortunate situations. Sin, you know, results in. Situations that none of us necessarily may be proud of, we may have shame over, but sin being what it is when confession and absolution is offered. A woman, um, in the instance of, let's say she was suffering abuse at the hands of her husband, perhaps her children were being abused. um, Sadly, sexual abuse can happen within a marriage. It can happen Mm. with the children in that home as well. And there are instances where um, there are some documents that had been put out, theological statements in consultation with the CTCR that says in some cases if separation is not enough, if that abuser does not seek the help that he needs, does not repent and sincerely move towards living a life that's different from the path he had taken before, divorce may be the only option. I was doing some research yesterday. I found instances where both our beloved Walther and even Luther himself defended women who were suffering horrible abuse at the hands of their husbands and they pled on behalf, in the legal system, on behalf of those women for separation and divorce. Now, you can ar- argue whether it's appropriate for that woman to ever remarry or not, and that's um, a decision she'll have to make with consultation with her husband. But even our Lutheran theological stalwarts and Walther and Luther had situations that are well-documented where mm. they, they, they argued on behalf of women and tried to help them come out of battering situations where the woman um, could be knocked unconscious for days on end mm. in the case of Walter, I think, a situation with him. Um, and again, that impacts us today as we do see the nuclear family breakdown. We, we don't have those benefits and protections that God intended for families, that a state of marriage, obviously we're having this discussion because the state of marriage is not as esteemed um, as what we would like it to be in the church. And even Luther faced that same problem back in the day when he was trying to minister to the church and all of his wonderful theological writings. When you have an estate of marriage that isn't upheld and exalted, then you have so much more opportunity for sin to penetrate that marriage and the family as we know it, as we certainly can all attest to today, the breakdown of the family is just something that's plaguing all of society.
0: Okay, now I'm going to put the burden on me. Assume that I am, well, I am an employee of the LCMS and a Lutheran. What should I do if I witness what I think is either sexual harassment uh, or abuse of a child, or I suspect something like this is going on.
1: Okay, well, it's different in the case of an adult. If you see somebody harassing a grown adult woman here at the International Center, it might not be a bad idea for you to take this person aside and say, look, that's inappropriate. I witnessed it. I saw it. I think it's wrong. You may want to also talk, If it's a, let's say it's a case of a man harassing a woman. Um, if it's the woman, you may want to take her aside and say, I saw that. I don't appreciate it. Here are some options for you. Uh, Maybe you want to go talk to HR. Maybe you want to talk to your supervisor. Our employee handbook here at the International Center, as well as the Employment Resources Manual that's put out there as a resource for congregations, lays out steps that can be taken. So I think when we show through our words and our actions, our deeds, that a a behavior, um, a word that was spoken was absolutely incorrect and we, we, we let our feelings be known, that that's a good first step. In the case of a child, totally different story. I would say the law doesn't protect the adult relationship as much except in the you know the where the employment laws are concerned if you're talking about sexual abuse of a child or inappropriate touching or behavior where a child is involved. We're mandatory reporters, and that needs to be reported to the authorities. We are not in a position to investigate. We are in a position to report, and the experts will come in and investigate that. So if someone is listening from an LCMS school or an organization that deals with children, do not investigate, report, let the experts investigate. They have the tools, they have the expertise, we do not.
0: Kim, I wanna thank you very much for helping to explain some of these issues here to the audience and to me personally. Uh, as, as was pointed out, yeah, we have the law, we have, our, uh, we have our standards, we have our guidebooks, but also remember we have a higher duty and a higher direction. We know, we read the Bible, we know what's right, we know what's wrong in these regards and give us the strength to follow what we need to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Sixth Commandment. We all know it. We love it. We've, you know, inwardly, um, we've read, marked, inwardly digested it. We understand. We, we, the estate of marriage is so important. Any type of sexual sin is so detrimental. And, we, you know, we read in Ephesians 5, no foolish or crude joking. Uh, we can go elsewhere. It's just so important that um, we listen to what God has to say on this matter because he has put these guidelines out there for us to protect us.
0: Well, my guest today has been Deaconess Kim Shave. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen.